Good afternoon. You are listening to What the Art. I'm Rachel Parsons, Director of New England Regional Art Museum. And as per usual, we're going to have a chat about all things art and culture in New England and beyond. Today, we'll be discussing how the live music scene is going in this almost post-COVID time. And we're also going to take a look at the recent marches for justice that occurred all over the country, including in Armadale. So let's get started. It was just yesterday during my usual morning social media scroll that a memory popped up on my Facebook feed. It was a post that I had made announcing that due to COVID-19, Neerum would be closing to the public immediately and for an indefinite time. Neerum was closed for three months and like most businesses, our staff had to work from home and we had to cancel a lot of our planned programming and events. And even when we were able to reopen, it was with tight restrictions that limited our capacity to offer events-based programming that would bring our community together, which is a big part of, of what we do. Needless to say, 2020 was for us and everyone a challenging year. At the same time, we recognise that in many ways we've been very lucky in the visual arts and that other parts of the arts industry were hit much harder than we were. And in particular, anyone involved in live performance and music were some of the most adversely affected artists during this time. So today I am talking with Pat Harris, who, among other things, is a musician and also one of the co-founders of AMA, the Armadale Improvised Music Society. Hello, Pat. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. So as a musician, what was your experience like last year? Well, I'm in a lucky position in the sense that I've got a full-time job and I still play music, but I do it on the side and I keep it as a passion project. But um, a lot of my friends back in Sydney who I used to play with when I played professionally uh, basically didn't do a gig for a year. Luckily, they most of them had uh, JobKeeper keeping them afloat. And so in a sort of ironic twist, some of them actually were enjoying a steady income for the first time in a long time. But now that that's about to be switched off, there's, uh, there's a bit of panic going on, I think. Sure. So I guess obviously one of the main challenges uh, for musicians were that uh, venues had to close, lots of gigs were cancelled, and of course that limited people's ability to play live music. Was there, I guess, a tendency to then spend more time maybe writing, making music? Is that kind of a shift that happened? I think it's different for everybody because uh, not all musicians are writers and recorders all the time most of the people who I used to play with make their money from playing live music and so even though there's some stuff that they can do at home it's outside of their sort of usual thing so the people that I know who are songwriters and um, recording artists um, even within that group it's sort of up and down because on the one hand you feel the pressure to create while Mm -hmm. you've got all this free time um, which in itself can be anxiety inducing because you feel like at the other end of it you've got to have some new opus of work Uh, and then I think some other people just were probably waiting for the chance to to just 
locked down <laughs> and yeah. write some stuff. So sure. I, I think it's a bit of a mixed bag. I don't think there was one experience for all of them. There was also, I guess, a universal pressure in the arts more broadly to, as everyone was saying, pivot to um, digital platforms and to try and do something, anything online. I know at Neurom we did a lot of online programming, including in collaboration with AMA. We did the beautiful Free Space uh, program, which allowed us to at least live stream music. Um, but what are some of the challenges I guess musicians would have faced in trying to put themselves out there online? Well, the thing about live music, I think the thing that a lot of people love about it is the experience of being in the same room as other people and feeling the same things at the same time. Uh, that commonality and that shared experience is really powerful because it just connects you to a bunch of strangers in a room. You're all experiencing this very unique fleeting uh, thing that's going on. And even though you can get a you can recreate some sense of that on social media. If something is live, then you know that it's happening now and you know that it hasn't been pre-recorded and, you know, that can be fun. But I think the novelty wears off pretty quickly. And while I think people were pretty grateful for the live streaming performances that we put on at the gallery, uh, I think that came at a good time when people, the novelty of the lockdown was still there and people were sort of almost a bit excited as to, you know, what was going to happen and what people were going to do. But I think after a while, we just start to crave mm. those human experiences that we've been sharing for thousands of years. <laughs> Absolutely. There was a sort of strange arc of of panic, but there's a certain excitement that does come with that kind of panic. But then there was a very slow but definite decline to intense boredom and oversaturation of screen um, time, I think. Yeah, I think from the from what I've noticed, I think on the other side of this, the behavioural change for live music is probably going to be about doing smaller shows and more smaller shows. Mm-hmm. Um for instance, uh, Tim Friedman, who you've got playing at the gallery soon, has been working really hard over the last eight months. I think he's been one of the only sort of high-profile musicians still playing because he's basically pivoted to playing small venues. Um, he would usually do something big like the Enmore Theatre, I suppose, but he's recognised that that's probably not going to be happening, mm. at least in the same way that it used to for a while. So I think you'll find a lot of bigger artists are probably rethinking what their minimum um, sort of performance re- uh, space requirements are and pivoting to um, smaller shows, which could make it interesting for people who are already do small shows. There might be a bit more competition, but mm. I think that's probably where that's where a lot of the pivoting is going to happen is instead of trying to legitimately replace live music, which is not really possible in my opinion, um, I think people will be rethinking the sort of uh, the sort of shows that they put on, which is potentially a really good thing for us in the regions, because obviously one of the things that we perhaps struggle with is that we don't have venues that can support uh, larger gigs. Um, so with this focus on um, a, a smaller style of performance, uh, we're suddenly back on the tour schedule. Yeah, well, one thing that's always been a hurdle for the Australian live music scene is that our major cities are so far apart. So musicians who are coming up, um, who are learning to play live and starting to tour in the UK or the US have got 
dozens and dozens of decent sized towns and cities within a couple of hours of where they live um for instance a band that starts in new york could spend two or three weeks touring and never go further than three hours away from Mm -hmm. where they started the same in the uk um until until brexit's happened obviously but before that you could go to spain or italy or france and you can you can play in different countries and not really have to go that far from your house uh whereas in australia the the traditional touring circuit has been sydney brisbane melbourne and then if you're lucky adelaide and perth if you've got enough money to get over there which is pretty prohibitive for a small band starting out uh even more so for a a band starting out in the regions so i think one of the flow-on effects of this what i think will be a pivot to focusing on smaller gigs is that it should strengthen some of those regional circuits so that people can see that there's a viable route to spend a week going from Sydney to Brisbane um, and hitting up some of the towns in between instead of trying to do Sydney, Brisbane and Melbourne in a week and being at the mercy of um, the flight paths. Mm-hmm. So you're one of the um, organisers, directors, co-founders, I'm yeah. sure, of, of AMA, which is the Armadale Improvised Music Association. Can you tell me what that's all about? Well, that was um, an, an, an attempted official, an official name to, to give uh, the efforts that myself, uh, my father Steve Harris and our friend Ash Hall uh, were, were – Basically, we're just trying to remind musicians from the cities that there are places like Armidale which are actually very convenient for them if they're on a traditional tour circuit um, because we're exactly halfway between Sydney and Brisbane. So if an artist is travelling from Sydney to Brisbane or vice versa, then uh, instead of taking a flight, they can drive and they can stop off here on the way up and do a show or stop off on the way back. And so... Before the pandemic, we were starting to... We were mainly focusing on improvised music because that was where a lot of our connections were. Uh, And we were putting on shows for jazz artists as they were coming up north. Uh, And then after a couple of pretty successful um, shows that we put on, uh, the pandemic happened and we had to Mm -hmm. (laughs) go to ground. So now we're, we're back uh, partnering with Niram and and trying to get that happening again. All this, although this time, even though we're still called the Armadale Improvised Music Association, we're broadening our scope a little bit so that we can try and cast a wider net and get everyone thinking and seeing how great it is to play in the regions. Yeah, I suppose one of the key things that any of us can do to support musicians who we know have had a hard time is to go out and um, either put on live music gigs or then go to live music gigs, which is what our courtyard sessions are all about, which is a uh, collaboration between Niram and Ama. Um, and we have one coming up on the 11th of April, which is Caitlin and the Pony Boys. What kind of sound can we expect from, from this group? Uh, I think uh, alt country is probably the quickest way to describe <laughs> it. I re- recommend everyone go and check them out they're a great band they just um they just won the award for best um best live act actually um i think that might have been the independent music award or something like that um they're they're a fantastic band they've been working really hard they're from the inner west in sydney they've got a very sort of playful um sort of 
almost humorous kind of edgy country sort of sound but there's also a deep love of country and americana music in there so it's not uh it's not a parody or anything it's just a really good time it sounds like it's going to be super fun we are very much looking forward to it so if you want to book into our next courtyard session you can do so via our website neurom.com.au and exciting news for all of you currently all new south wales residents over the age of 18 are entitled to four 25 dollar dine and discover vouchers and you can use your discover vouchers for all neurom events events including the courtyard sessions so make sure you check those vouchers out and come support live music. Pat, thanks so much for chatting with me. My pleasure. And you have a song for us. What are we going to listen to? <laughs> well, on your request. <laughs> <laughs> of course, definitely my request. I've picked a song from uh, from my band, which I still have, although we, we operate in a pretty long distance way. So most of them are still back down in Sydney or uh, in the Sydney region. Uh, and the band's called The Tambourine Girls and this song is called Janine.
Hi, you are back with What the Art. Um, and we're going to get a little bit more um, serious and political now for a minute. So on Monday, 15th of March, more than 100,000 women gathered in 40 cities to attend rallies around Australia to protest against gendered violence. Brittany Higgins, the former Liberal staffer whose rape allegations sparked a national discussion about sexual harassment and assault in politics, spoke at a rally, a rally outside of Parliament House and said, we fundamentally recognise the system is broken, the glass ceiling is still in place and there are significant failings in the power structures within our institution. We are here because it is unfathomable that we are still having to fight this same stale, tired fight. So my second guest today is Bobby jo, Bobby jo Hayworth, who is one of the organisers for the Women's March for Justice in Armadale. So thanks for coming on What the Art. Thanks for having me, Rachel. So the overwhelming and collective message that came from the recent Marches for Justice was enough is enough when it comes to gendered violence and continuing inequality. But of course, all of the women present and involved have their own experience and reason uh, for being present and for marching. What prompted you to organise this march in Armadale? In short, frustration. Yeah. (laughs) Just tired of it and seeing it over and over again. Um, Every few years, there's a big media case that you'll hear about it, but everyone knows that it goes on everywhere no matter what. So Yeah, sure. I think frustration was one of the key things that yep. that came through. <laughs> the fact that uh, we're still having these same conversations yeah. after such a long time. And that was a pretty popular sign at a lot of the protests too. Yes. A lot of the older women were making a point that like, we've been protesting this our entire lives. Why are we still here? Why are we still fighting for the same things? Absolutely. Um, so those involved in the Armadale March and the Armadale community presented a list of demands to our state and federal ministers. Uh, what were some of the points on that list? And I think also um, there were some specific points that were um, very much aimed towards the regional context and women's um, experience in regional Australia. Yes, so some of our demands were improved funding for women's frontline support services in regional areas um, and improved resourcing for regional police taking reports of sexual assault um, and just improved police training in handling trauma, especially in regional areas. Like we miss out on a lot of resources and the amount of staffing that large cities have. Absolutely. And I guess also there's a whole range of other, you know, pressures and things that are specific to the region. So sometimes, you know, these spaces need more help. Perhaps. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's now over a week since the marches. Has there been a response from those in power um, that you had hoped to reach? And has that response been appropriate in your opinion? We haven't received any formal response from either of our MPs that we sent the demands to directly. So Barnaby Joyce and Adam Marshall haven't gotten back to us yet. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam Marshall has said has said he will prepare a formal response as soon as he has time to. Um, Barnaby's given us an automated email response and nothing <laughs> further yet. So sure. <laughs> um, and in terms of everyone else in Canberra, as you can see this week as well, there hasn't really been any efforts made. Um, they've been silencing all the speakers in parliament that bring up the petition that had I think about 97,000 signatures. So not an insignificant amount of support for what people are asking for. Yeah. 
Um, so we are a arts and culture show predominantly, um, so we do like to focus on the the arty side of life. But one of the things that I do have a keen interest in that is related to the march is how art has a place within activism. And I guess one of the um, key ways that we see that um, in in protests is through the the signage that is made. So text and images used to illustrate or communicate uh, people's feelings, their frustrations, um, and and I guess what it is that they're hoping to get out or to um, the change they're trying to push for in these marches. Uh, is that something that you see as port- important within the activism that you're involved in? I think so. I think the signs sort of give everyone a way to make their voices heard. And that was pretty much the whole point of the march is that women want to actually be heard and listened to. So, And I think also sometimes those signs, um, you know, there's something easy to capture visually. So there's something that get, um, you know, shared through social media and continue the conversation on perhaps, um, you know, broadly once the, you know, official news coverage and things have perhaps slowed down. I I noticed with a lot of the signs at some of the larger city marches that there was a bit of a trend to have longer text on the sign. I think people Mm -hmm. are sort of expecting now that, it's going to turn up on social media. So it's not something you have to read in 10 seconds as they walk past. So. Yeah, sure. So some of the um, slogans that featured in the reach, uh, recent marches include things like, I've seen better cabinets at Ikea. Uh, I like my patri- patriarchy like my avocados smashed. Um, we will not stay silent so you can stay comfortable. Uh, were there particular signs in Armadale that stood out to you as particularly impacting? Um, there was one that was held up when we got to Adam Marshall's office and I didn't actually see it before then um, and it was sort of a play on the big swinging dicks club that the Liberals have been calling themselves um, and it was just misogyny, small dick energy. And it, was, <laughs> <laughs> it was just sort of a like obviously using a bit of profanity to get a bit of shock factor as well but being able to have it as a play on words and so there's obviously a lot of humor used in in that kind of of signage and it's been applied to what of course is a incredibly serious and critical issue um so what place does humor have in in activism i i think the signs is probably where the humor ends and i think we saw that on the march day that people are willing to make that joke on the sign to get the attention and for the shock value of Mm. making light of such a serious topic but um, beyond that I don't see much humour in it. (laughs) Yeah sure no of course I mean no it's not a funny situation but I guess sometimes you need that rallying point and sometimes yeah, and it's, it's easier it's to laugh sort of, than cry yeah. kind of thing yeah yeah um so i believe you had over you know you had something like 300 people at the yeah Armadale we, rally? we think there was somewhere between 350 and 400 that actually came um we're expecting about 100 so mm-hmm. uh, when the mall sort of started to fill up on the day we were pleasantly surprised at how many people in armadale had heard on such a short time period as well and actually turned up. I mean, that's quite amazing participation for what is essentially a small town. And I guess, once again, that just reiterates uh, how frustrated people feel on a broader level and how critical this this issue is to a lot of people. Yeah, I spoke to some people after the march that said they'd never protested anything else in their lives. It was just this was their breaking point. And I think a lot of women all over Australia are sort of feeling the same. 
Do you think that's because of the very um, uh, public and prominent uh, situation coming out of Canberra with the recent allegations and the response? Is is that something that has really, you know, struck a nerve with people on this occasion? I think so. I think everyone knows that sexual assaults happen in Australia and it's not news that there's been a sexual assault, but for it to happen inside our federal parliament has been a big shock to a lot of people that this goes right to the top and we need change. And of course, change has to start from the top yep. as, as well. So um, so the marches have happened. They were overwhelmingly supported. Um, but uh, you have probably noticed, as I have, that inequality still exists. Gendered yep. violence still exists. Um, we did not solve it um, in the, the march that we recently had. So what is the current call to action and what can we be doing now and over the next months to continue to build on this momentum of these rallies and ensure that critically necessary changes are made? keep the pressure on the government. Um, <laughs> we've actually set up a website and Facebook page for the Armadale Region March for Justice uh, with some information on how to contact our local MPs and a bit of a form letter that everyone can add their own take to to keep the pressure on so that we actually see some real change. Great. So where can people find that website? Um, if you search Armadale March for Justice on Facebook, you should be able to find us there. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Bobby Joe, for joining me today and for being one of the leaders for the Armadale March for Justice. I think we all appreciate that someone stood up and got us organised because it does take someone to, you know, put that rallying call out. So thank you so much. Um, okay, so that is all we have for What the Art for another week. But if you want more arts and culture related activities and events, just pop into New England Regional Art Museum or you can check out our website, www.nirem.com.au. We are on Facebook and Instagram too. We have a bunch of fantastic events uh, coming up. And for those of you who had FOMO about Culture Club, make sure you get your, uh, you sign up for membership so that you get priority access for future events, but also fantastic discounts. Um, to to other Nirem events, including the upcoming uh, Caitlin and the Pony Boys uh, concert in the courtyard um, on coming up on April 11th. Um, I'm Rachel Parsons, and I will see you soon at Nirem. And for those of you f- uh, fighting to smash the patriarchy, here is Beyonce with Who Won the World? Girls!